Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. How you doing, folks? Andy here. So I have been promising to bring you this interview for about a month now, but there has been quite a lot going on in the world of Celtic with Ange Postacoglu leaving for Tottenham, Brendan Rodgers coming back. There's just been too much to talk about, but I'm bringing you it today. It's Kieran Maguire. He is the host of the Price of Football podcast. He does various other things as well. And we talked to him about Celtic's financing, Rangers financing, where the Scottish League stands in the grand scheme of world football and where Celtic stand in the grand scheme of world football as well and how that doesn't really reflect the size of Celtic as a football club and potentially coming to terms with our place in the world when it comes to football financing as well. We could have, you know, dissected Brendan Rodgers' uh, press conferences over the last weekend or so, but we're not going to do that on this week's show because I've been sitting on this interview for too long. We will return to Brendan Rodgers in due course, but... This is the podcast that we've been wanting to bring you for a while because it's really interesting. Karen's a great guest and it really does reflect where Celtic are going into the summer and perhaps will add some context to what Brendan Rodgers is going to be working with over the next while as well. So without further ado, here is myself, Alan Morrison, Celtic by Numbers and Juco James chatting to Karen Maguire from the Price of Football podcast. <laughs> Now we're going to do something a little different on today's show. We're going to be talking about financing in the Scottish League. And to do so, I'm very happy to say that Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football podcast has joined us. Kieran, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks very much for the invite, guys. Looking forward to this. Should be fun. Yeah, I know you have to be away for the Brighton game very shortly. So I thought I'd say you're very welcome for the gift that Ireland has given you in Evan Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm also grateful for him having an English mum. Because without that, um, under the post-Brexit arrangement, mm. Brighton wouldn't have been able to sign him. Um, so, uh, God, God bless his mum, and uh, yeah. may he may he play in green. And I think, he, judging from what he said to date, I don't think there's any chance of him uh, having uh, having second thoughts and doing a Jack Grealish or a Declan Rice. With those circumstances, I think, in, in terms of their background, were very different there. No, he's very much going to play, play for Ireland and he has done, so he will be uh, playing for Ireland in the future. But we're not here to talk about Brighton or Evan Ferguson or Ireland as much as I'd love to do that for the next 45 minutes. We're here to talk about Scottish football and financing Celtic Rangers, all the good stuff. And I thought the probably the best place to start here, Kieran, is where Scottish football is in the world of football when it comes to financing because 
Celtic and Rangers are obviously the powerhouses in Scotland. They're big fish in a small pond. But as we've seen in Europe this year in, Ch- in the Champions League, they are very much small fish in a big pond globally now. And that would be a hard truth for a lot of Scottish football fans and Celtic and Rangers fans for where Celtic were 20 years ago to where they are now. Can you maybe just give us some insight into where the two clubs are and where Scottish football stands in the world of football in terms of the financing side of things? Yeah, if, if we go back to the commencement of the uh, of the Premier League in 1992, um, I think Rangers had the second or third highest revenues and certainly the second or third highest wage bill in English and Scottish football. And Celtic were probably about seventh or eighth. If we fast track to 2022, um, Celtic have revenue of 88 million. Rangers had revenue of 87 million. And that's with both clubs participating in Europe. The, the club which generated the least amount of money in the Premier League generated around about 130. So there, there has been a change. Um, I think you're absolutely right to say that uh, the clubs are, are between a rock and a hard place in, in the sense that if you compare the two clubs from Glasgow to the rest of Scotland, uh, if, if you look at the, the total value of the squads in the Scottish Premiership, uh, between them, Rangers and Celtic have got 96% of the total spend. If you look at the, the total revenues, again, it, it far outweighs uh, that of, of other clubs. You've got, uh, you, you've got clubs uh, in the Premiership who are paying wages on average of about you know, a, perhaps a grand, perhaps £1,200 a week. Rangers and Celtic far exceed that. Um, at the same time, the wage bills are high by Scottish standards, low compared to England. I still think they're quite competitive, perhaps compared to some of the other clubs that you'll be playing against, certainly in the Champions League, um, and certainly competitive to, to most of the clubs in the Europa League, with the exception of uh, probably the English clubs and, mm-hmm. and those clubs who um, fall out of the, the Champions League by finishing third. Um, yeah, we've seen Barcelona and Manchester United and so on um, in the Europa League this season. So it, it is a uh, it, it's it, it's a challenge that, that there's not a Goldilocks position in the sense that I think it could be argued that um, the two clubs from Glasgow are probably too big for Scotland, but not big enough to to make a dent in the Champions League. But then you could say, well, hold on, let's let's settle for making progress in the Europa League, and, and uh, you know that that has been achieved historically. Mm. Yeah, because that, that was going to be my follow up question: is is it fair to say that the two clubs are probably in a very unique position in the world of football? Because if you look at, I, I get you probably have to look at some of the Eastern European clubs uh, to find a club that are so domestically huge and even commercially globally huge like Celtic and Rangers, but they're far too big for the, the league that they're currently playing in, in every metric, be that on the pitch and off the pitch, but they're not nearly big enough and on a world market to make a dent. But again, like you said, it's sort of a rock and a hard place because how do you make progress outside of your own pond with the shackles off your own pond? Yeah. Um, 
I, 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 th- I, I agree with you uh, entirely. Yeah, they they both have substantial fan bases, both domestically and internationally in pockets. Um, you know, if, if you if you look at France, PSG again is is a dominant player as far as the league is concerned, but also has the benefit of uh, extremely wealthy owners who have made, managed to elevate that club. You know, there, there was no football in France 30 or 40 years ago to, to a large extent. Uh, you know, PSG were a non-entity until they were acquired by, by Qatar. So it, it, it is a case, and then perhaps it's a case of saying, well, well hold on, where, where do we want these clubs to be? Uh, you know, we know for the foreseeable future going forwards, one of the two is going to win the Scottish Premiership. And if they want to make a contribution, if they if they want to challenge in Europe, um, you know, we, we don't see clubs from Austria making progress. We don't see clubs from Sweden making progress. Um, but they do sometimes do pretty pretty reasonably as far as the Europa League is concerned. So you know, I, I know as as Celtic fans you probably don't want to hear this, but yeah, Rangers did re- make the final. Yeah, it, it was a, a good uh, progress uh, a couple of years ago when they got to the final in Seville. And is that an achievement in its own right, at the same time accepting that as far as the Champions League is concerned, the clubs realistically should have an objective of trying to finish third in the group stages and then drop down into the Europa League and have a bit of fun there? Mm. I think most Southie fans would probably put that as a reasonable objective or especially did this year anyway. But can we focus now a little bit on Celtic and I'll bring in James now who's on the podcast as well because where Celtic stand at least on the outlook is a very healthy position based on their books from the last couple of years. But James, I know you wanted to come in on the reality of the situation and maybe explain in more context about the books that Celtic have released over the last number of years and why you think they might not be as strong as they, they are putting outwardly. Yeah. My, my criticism has been more within the context of Kieran's comments relative to making that leap in Europe to be a relevant kind of late Europa league challenger um, on a consistent basis, you know, kind of a pot three, Champions League performer, maybe once in a while, make it into the, the knockout stages of the Champions League, maybe one out of five years, that kind of thing. Um, and it, you know, in my background, Kieran's in uh, financial markets. So as, 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 as an accountant, you know, the importance of benchmarking. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my main criticism of, of Celtic has, have, has been the relative decline in competitive, competitiveness in Europe. And really, it's the player trading model that differentiates the clubs that have advanced uh, to kind of punch above their weight, so to speak. Um, and and that's where Celtic, if you benchmark domestically, they look like they're geniuses in player trading. But then if you, um, you know, look at them within the context of the, the broader European landscape, whether it's even a club as small as Alkmaar um, to the big boys like Benfica and Porto and Ajax that have, you know, a lot of um, institutional advantage in culture, uh, uh, you know, recruiting out of certain markets, that kind of thing. Uh, so that that's more so, but I, I wanted to, and I'll, this does lead to a question, um, relative to your, your comments on this, I call it kind of a duopoly 
uh, it's almost like a feudal state in Scottish football. There's, there's no middle class. Even in France, you have some clubs that you could argue, yes, it's very skewed to PSG, but you have a middle class there that are, are fairly wealthy clubs in the grand scheme of things. But in Scotland, it's very much a, a duopoly. Um, what does that present um, from, from a, a, a resource perspective and um, a competitive landscape um, in recruiting players, in um, you know, being able to market the league in a commercial basis uh, outwardly, whether it's because that's one of the big criticisms that a lot of Scottish football fans have, and particularly Celtic fans, is the the media rights, and that's the really the lever. I mean, that's what's that's what's changed the economics of football since you know um, twenty years ago is that the amount of growth in media rights. So, how do you put that in context financially as far as this feudal system without um, you know any real middle class in, in clubs within Scotland? I think you've summed it up. Perfectly in, in the sense that we we have the, the the two leading clubs, and then effectively there is nothing. And uh, to a certain extent, perhaps it it could be likened to what we've seen in uh, post Soviet Russia, in that there's that there is wealth concentrated in uh, in the hands of a very few. Then there's a huge gap, and, and then we we have the uh, the day to day folks. Um, and that has a ripple effect in terms of things such as media rights. Um, if, if, I, if, if I'm watching uh, broadcast TV, would I watch Leeds versus Nottingham Forest? Yes, I would, because they are the middle class of, of English football. And, and you tend to have some skin in the game. Whereas, we'd notice, if it's, who, who's going to watch... St. Johnson versus Kilmarnock, apart from those St. Johnson and Kilmarnock fans that can't get to the game. As Rangers and Celtics fans, you, you would not be watching it because they're not, they're not a threat. Um, you might have a vague interest in, in relegation. Um, relegation in, in England is, is a huge issue because uh, you know, if, if Leicester get relegated this weekend, they're going to lose two-thirds of their income because of what you then referred to the broadcasting rights, and uh, you know, uh, I'm, I, I, I do uh, another podcast, and, and we're actually interviewing Neil Doncaster uh, tomorrow, and we've got quite a few questions sent in from listeners, the vast majority of which refer to um, the, the commercialization of the game, the, uh, the monetization of, of the broadcasting rights, Nothing in terms of how that money is distributed, because I think the clubs in, in the main, I think the fans accept uh, the, the distribution model. Um, but how, how how do I, when I talk to people in, in marketing, so, you know, I have, have the conversations, and for people that don't know me, I'm, I'm a teacher at university and I, I, I work with marketing professors and so on, and I, and I somehow sort of schlep a living by pretending that football finance is a proper subject when, when we all know that it isn't really. Um, but but they, they say to me that there, there is a problem in that Scottish football doesn't have an own brand, an own identity. The two, the two Glasgow clubs do, and, and then there's a bit of a void. And if you're trying to sell the whole product, um, I think it's, it is it is challenging for the SPFL. And yes, we know that there are um, outposts of, of, of Scottish fans uh, all around the world, but there's not huge numbers of them um, in, in order to attract 
um, significant revenues from international rights, whereas you've got the pre- the Premier League is now the, the the dominant player in that market. You've got interest in La Liga because of the impact of um, Real Madrid and Barcelona, and, and also we have uh, quite a few countries with large Hispanic populations and. Then you've got the issue of well, how are the players going to come through? And, and I think you sort of alluded to the fact that um, there are issues in terms of uh, the the attitude towards sport uh, as part of young people's development in, in countries such as Bel- Belgium and the Netherlands and, and Portugal, which isn't replicated. Um, in Scotland and in England, I'll be honest, um, and, and that gives those countries an advantage. And, and then you're playing catch up. And I'm looking at my figures here um, in, in respect of uh, in respect of Celtic. Um, you know, the last 13 years, Celtic made a loss in those years from day to day operations, and then they had to rely on the. Um, the player trading model to, to make money. And, and that is their, their modus operandi. Uh, sell one player a year, um, make a loss, you know, probably somewhere in the region of, of 10 to 20 million a year in terms of operations. And, and your player sales would dig you out of that. But it does mean, of course, that you are under pressure to sell probably your best or your second best player every season. And that's going to the negative impact upon the club's ability to progress um, at, the, at the upper echelons in Europe. So um, to get in a little bit more of a thornier topic, uh, the three of us all enjoyed your your joke on Twitter about uh, the 60,000 financial experts in Glasgow, or at least one half of Glasgow. Um, And uh, as as Alan's fond of saying, you know, that what makes that a good joke is, is, you know, there's always an element of truth to it. And uh, segueing from this idea of a duopoly, there, there's, you know, you as a Brighton fan and not eating and breathing and sleeping this topic um, over the last 20 years. Uh, so, some of the context there is, is um, you know, because of the power structure in Scottish football um, and, and both clubs being punitive towards journalists at times and questions about governance and uh, uh, almost, I, I joke, a mutually assured destruction. Uh, you're of an age vintage like Alan and I, where you probably remember hiding under your school desk <laughs> your drills, right? So um, there's an element of that within Scottish football, meaning that without another big club, um, you know, the financial uh, sustainability of, of the league, um, you know, comes into picture. And that, that leads me to my question, which is um, – when you go back to the liquidation of Rangers in, in 2012, um, I, I think a lot of the disgruntlement amongst Celtic supporters derives from the lack of kind of, I'll call it investigative journalism <laughs> uh, that took place. And a lot of it was actually, ex, you know, cited by Celtic supporters and, and, a, and a, uh, a grievance of having, you know, feel kind of cheated out of, of the financial aspect of what had taken place preceding that. Um but my, my question is more nuanced to that because there's also been criticism of the Celtic board at that time um, and, and maybe not being as aggressive in pursuing certain things. And, and that's been a legacy issue uh, within the elements of the Celtic support. But w- one of the distinctions between the two clubs and particularly the, the, the new iteration of, of, of Rangers is Celtic being a public company. Um, can you speak to what that means relative to the fiduciary role 
of a board of directors, of a chairperson. Um, and, you know, those topics of what would the Scottish League look like coming out of a liquidated Rangers and, and how that might play into that. Um, you know, if I'm a person that has a fiduciary role in a public company that could get sued for violating that, um, I might address something differently than if I was a private company, maybe that, 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 and, and, you know, certainly a, a diametrically opposed to, let's say, uh, um, supporters that might have a more um, aggressive posture. Yeah. I mean, um, for the sake of transparency, I'm, I'm a, I'm a shareholder in Celtic. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do monitor the club uh, as, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lecturer. I'm not a lawyer, but um, as a, an executive of a listed company, you, you do have responsibilities towards stakeholders, especially uh, you know the broader shareholder base. Um, and I'm sure Celtic will have taken legal counsel. Uh, ultimately, you, you can't turn back time, um, and, and I think those fans who who felt that some of the trophies that were run by Rangers should have been removed from them. That's, that's something I, I, I don't see happening elsewhere. Um, you know, there's even, you know, we've got, we've got Manchester city currently with 115 charges. Um, you know, Liverpool fans, Manchester United fans, Spurs fans are, uh, are, are very unhappy about that. Um, but they, they don't realistically expect any changes with regards to that. Um, in terms of the the opportunities for the directors, I think it could have been costly and you might have got a symbolic victory here and there. Uh, but my argument would be that I'd rather the money would have been spent on infrastructure. The money would rather have been spent on talent recruitment, uh, developing facilities um, in, in order... For, for Celtic going forwards to be competitive in Europe. Uh, yeah, again, as an outsider, I, I felt that what happened to Rangers was to a certain extent a lost opportunity for Celtic because if, if I'd been there, I would have tried to expand the, the facilities even further, you know, get another 5,000 fans in. Get- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A load more uh, opportunities for um, hospitality tickets and so on. And ensure that the club was in a position that the Rangers have been in a recovery phase, but they would have to recover from you know, a long way back and rain and Celtic would be so far ahead that they'd be almost uncatchable. So, so instead of, mm-hmm. yeah, and you talk about duopoly, I think Rangers came back because the duopoly was, was achievable. Celtic perhaps missed an opportunity to make it a monopoly. And I'm not saying a monopoly in football is good. I'm not saying a duopoly in football is good, but if you, if I've got an advantage, I, there, there's a, there's a case for putting your, you know, putting on the, the afterburners and just getting so far ahead as to, to, to make the, the challenge for Rangers nigh on impossible. Yeah. You mentioned Manchester City there. We might come back to that topic in just one minute, but I want to bring Alan in as well because he, he's been very quiet in the corner over there. Um, can, we, can we talk about the what you're sort of mentioning there and the gap between the two clubs? Because um, in a football, in, on purely football terms, Celtic are, are miles ahead at the minute. And this season, a couple of years ago, you could have said that Rangers were miles ahead. That was flipped on its head. It turns very quickly on the pitch in Scotland. But um, you, you said earlier on the podcast that the revenue for the clubs, uh, Celtics is 88 million, Rangers is around 87 million. Is the gap really that marginal? Is that how close the two clubs are financially in your opinion? I think the gap is wider. Um, remember, here we are looking at the 2022 figures. Now, in, 20, in, in season 21-22, um, Rangers did benefit from getting to the final of the Europa League. Um, they, they've not done that this year. So I, I would expect that gap to to grow. Um, but it, it has narrowed. If, if we go back to 2018, for example... Um, Celtic, again, were in the Champions League that season. Their revenues were 102 and Rangers were 32. So we've gone from a gap of you know, almost £70 million pounds to, to, to almost being eliminated. Now, that was eliminated as a, as a consequence of circumstance. First of all, you know, uh, Rangers had a good 21 and they had a, a good 22 internationally. Um, Celtic have the advantage of A, a bigger stadium, um, B, um, I think greater experience of the player trading model, um, which I think Rangers are trying to replicate, um, and, and that's, they, they have utilised that in the past. Um, so the, the, all, all, of the, uh, all of the ducks were in the right line uh, for Rangers in, in 2022. They had a modest uh, 2023, they didn't get any points as far as the Champions League is concerned, they're behind Celtic as far as the UEFA 10-year coefficient is concerned. So I would I'd expect that gap to to grow, um, you know, probably back to double figures in terms of millions um, when when we see the accounts being announced for both clubs. Mm. So it's just thanks, Kieran. 
gap between the two clubs and then I want to if you if it's okay move then move back to Europe because I think this this word that I think is vital is 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 is, is sustainability that's the cornerstone of UEFA um, current financial legislation and and I think it's an important word to have in our minds when we talk about Scottish football especially given the the revenue challenges that we face but coming back to the sort of what is the gap? How do we articulate that gap between the top two in Scotland? I don't know if you know David David Lowe. David Lowe um, was one of Fergus McCann's uh, uh, key people when he uh, took over Celtic in '94. He was in the room when all, all of that business was done. He's a, a respected business person uh, in in Scotland and is in, intimately familiar with the workings of uh, both sides of the of the divide in Glasgow and knows many of the people involved. He tweeted recently that he 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 sees that Celtic have got uh, what what he he classified as a as a fifty million year on year on year advantage advantage over their rivals. As you rightly said. A lot of that's driven by number of season book sales. That then allows you to generate more match day income because obviously, because obviously you've got more people spending match day money for all the games that you play. And then the the, the third gap, big gap, is is commercial performance. Where I think I've I've got your I think the spreadsheets that you've got up on your screen. I might have screen grabbed the same ones. Certainly, you've got like a sort of 10, 10 million current advantage on that and i know you were on a sports sound a sports sound podcast with tom english and and um kenny mcintyre recently and you, you said that celtic had a, a wee advantage I, I like the vernacular that you, you used there but given that 15 million a year and it, and it's every year and it's repeating currently represents you know 17 of celtic's revenue in the context of scottish football um, where you know I, know, I know Brighton have probably got at least ten players in their squad that cost fifteen million pounds, but Celtic don't have any. Fifteen million pounds is an awful lot of money in the context yeah. of Scottish yeah. football. Would you would you agree with that? And therefore, would you would you would you consider that gap is actually quite quite considerable gap as a year on year challenge? I, I think Rangers are having to pay catch up, um, and Celtic start the season uh, in, in a stronger position. Um, I was on a Rangers podcast couple of weeks ago and they, they acknowledged on the pitch and off the pitch they are behind Celtic and yeah we were discussing how how do you address that um you know Rangers have had a period of time when they've when they weren't in a position to invest in facilities um and, and they are trying projects um they have had distractions off field in terms of litigation issues again all that's all money coming out of the club so yes yeah, Celtic are are ahead of Rangers um, I, I, whether it's fifteen million, um, yeah, I, I think yeah, we, we're we're arguing semantics because I, I know when I speak to Rangers, and, and again for the sake of complete trans, transparency, I've had John Bennett on my show. I've, I, I know Stuart Robertson. Um, you know, we we, we talk. Uh, you know, and because I, my background's in finance, um, and and they're quite quite open, um, and they say, well, yeah, we we know that. Celtic have got the the capacity advantage. Um, their hospitality facilities, um, they've got an advantage there because Celtic have continued to invest. Um, and uh, I think they'd say, well, yeah, when it comes to commercial uh, rangers, uh, 
spot there, but Rangers kit deal is is that Rangers get a commission, whereas Celtic are talking at the gross figures. So uh, if, if you look at those two numbers, it, it's difficult to compare because ultimately it's the net that really matters. Um, but yes, it, it, it is a substantial um, advantage. It's it's not a killer advantage though, um, and I think yeah, going, going back to what I was saying earlier. I felt that Celtic could have expanded Celtic Park to 65,000. They could have put in uh, a CEO. I, I, I talk to, I'm, I'm fortunate in, in this this job that I do is that I, I get to talk to lots of clubs all, all around. And you know, Bayern Munich's tell me that they, they make as more money from the 6,000 corporate seats as they do from the 60,000 that turn up at the Alliance. And could Celtic have done that? Um, you know, Glasgow is not the same as Munich in terms of of, of uh, you know, fundamentally wealthy city, but um, you know, Celtic can leverage upon the historic links and so on uh, to make it very attractive. Um, under the, the, the owner, I think Celtic have been quite conservative, and there's a lot to be said for that because the alternative to being conservative in football is gambling, and you know. Rangers ended up in liquidation, as you say. Uh, yeah, they've they've had to go and pay the price for that. Certainly, here on I'm seeing in England, clubs in the English Championship have gambled, trying to get into the Premier League, have broken financial fair play rules. Some of them have ended up being relegated into the third tier. So I can understand uh, Fergus McCann taking that approach, and the legacy of that means that. If, and, and I think I, I was quoted as saying this uh, two or three years ago, if Rangers have one good year, that gap will be eliminated. And, and we've seen that. Has it been eliminated for one year? Yes. Will that be, will it be eliminated on a regular basis? I think not, unless they recruit those two or three players that A, get them mm-hmm. into the Champions League. And then you know, if, if they get into the knockout phases two years in a row that resets their budget. Um, yeah. So, so, so that, that would be my observation. Yeah. On, and I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned the commercials there. I just wanted to explore, because obviously, you know, one of the levers that they have is to grow their commercial operations to try and catch up with Celtic or exceed Celtic. I just wondered, because I know on the Your Price of Football, excellent Price of uh, Football uh, podcast, you know, I've heard you think, mention the fact that obviously you operate in these circles. You, it's like any global business it's actually a village when you come down to it you know the key people who operate within that so i'm thinking really here about the, the commercial world of football especially sort of you know kit manufacturers and so forth and if you go through the list of um, litigations that you mentioned there you know sports direct hummel elite the people that built the memorial wall Park hamilton the sydney super cup you know um organizers singe glenn's vodka the list goes on and on um it's almost as from an outsider's perspective it almost seems that you know, every um, commercial partner that that club has, they end up in court with. I just wanted to get your observation on what does all of that activity mean from a reputational perspective and therefore how easy will it be to grow commercials given that background? I I think it would mean that I would be cautious if I was coming from the commercial sector or a sponsorship sector um, because you do your due diligence. Um, You know, Rangers have had a lot of, you know, I've I've said that Fergus McCann is a very conservative approach, but it's also quite a serene boardroom. Um, That's that's not been the case at Rangers. There there have been disputes with 
with partners such as Mike Ashley. And, and, and Mike Ashley is a, uh, a controversial figure, but uh, he's, he's not somebody that I'd pick a fight with unless I had a, a cast iron case because he's, uh, I think people, people see the character and they make judgments on him. He, he's a much smarter operator than he's given credit for. Um, they, they've got the, the issues with Dave King, who now is sort of to a certain extent the, the, the equivalent of, of Boris Johnson in the sense that he was the man in charge. He's not the man in charge, and he's trying to make some things awkward for the people that have superseded him. And, and uh, you know, that, that means that, you know, in my observation, where Rangers should be focusing on is is building up the commercial side, is building up the football side, and they've got these distractions, and and that's that's not in the interests of the club, um, and that that again gives Celtic an advantage. Now, how how Celtic choose to deal with that advantage is is down to them. Mm. Sure. So just, just I know we're running short of time, so we wanted to cover really the European landscape as regards financial regulation, because, again, this is a topic, again, and, and it comes back to your your, your joke about 60,000 financial experts. The reason that we have to cover this is because the Scottish press really doesn't. Um, so, so for the benefit of, the, of listeners, could you just briefly explain, you know, what, what financial sustainability regulations, FSR, are in terms of I'm really thinking two two things uh, three things sorry really one is mechanically what is it secondly what, what's it trying to do what's the spirit of it what's it actually trying to achieve and thirdly how do you see it impacting on Scottish football um we are moving away from having a break-even model um under the historic rules in UEFA you are allowed to have uh, uh, an FFP loss of 30 million euro over um, a rolling three-year period but but actually um, it, it wasn't 30 million it was it was five million and then the owners were allowed to top that up with 25 million pounds worth of equity in, in 25 million euro uh, of equity investment um, financial fair play profit was not the same as accounting profit um, and I know when the rules came out, I, I just looked at them and I spent one evening and I wrote down 10 ways. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, apologies here. I used to teach creative accounting on Wall Street so and Canary Wharf. And, and for me, because I'm an academic, you know, I wasn't working there full time. I go across in the summer and say, hey, guys, have you seen this, this crazy scheme? Um, so, so therefore, I, I, I know how to play with the numbers. And I'm thinking, well, if I can do that and I'm just a teacher, then you've got really smart people at the firms of accountants, at the law firms, at the at the investment banks who can who will run rings around these figures. Um, but um, that's that's where we were. The new financial and sustainability rules are wage based. You're, you're, you're now allowed to lose 60 million over three years, but I don't think that will provide much focus. And, and in the first year, you're allowed to spend 90% of your revenue on wages, agents fees and net transfer cost. So here, I think uh, Celtic having that player trading model will come come to their benefit. Um, and, and that 90% then becomes 80% and then becomes 70%. And that's the, that's UEFA's long-term aim. But player wages plus agents fees plus your net transfer cost, however they're going to define that, can't be more than 70% of revenue. Now, we, we've had this position where uh, Rangers have been cited uh, in terms of 
you know, we come out of COVID, but you're not in a great position. Chelsea have been given the same. Yeah, about four or five clubs in England. There's, I think there's a, there's a list of you know, between about 25 to 30 clubs in Europe, and there's some pretty big players in that. Um, and Rangers were one of those. So, so that does give them less room to manoeuvre. Um, and clearly, they've they've had a a poor season in terms of their their Champions League performance. But they qualified for the Champions League in the first place, um, and uh, that had both benefits and costs. So I, I know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Brighton fan. We, we sold Connor Goldson to, to Rangers and we had a clause in the contract which said if Rangers qualify for the Champions League, we get an add-on. So they get the more money coming in, but they got more money going out. Um, the players would have been on bonuses and so on. Um, so uh, Rangers are not, they're not in a brilliant position with regards to that but I don't think that they're in a terrible position either because there are so many other clubs and this is very much a case of, of Rangers giving the, uh, uh, sort of been given a, just a, just watch yourself guys. Yeah. But it's not disastrous. Can, yeah, I'll just wrap this up then just for uh, time's sake. Before we finish up overall, can I just ask, add a, adding a layer onto this uh, UEFA sustainability thing, if you're on the topic of uh, catch up, playing catch up with Celtic, if you look at, Clubs across Europe who have played catch up with each other. Juventus are one. They were doing some creative accounting and have been deducted 10 points. Barcelona have pulled 150 million levers in order to keep the, the club afloat. Is there a danger now that perhaps Rangers playing catch up year on year on year on year because of the advantages that we've spoken about, that there could be a little bit of a worry there within their financials? My gut reaction is no. Um, okay. You know, I, I I do know John Bennett. I do know Stuart Robertson. Appreciate Stuart's moving on. Um, I, I think that they are aware of the level of scrutiny that uh, that their activities and also I, I you know, whatever you want to think about the people that they're historically. The impression I get is that these guys are actually quite professional, and therefore they're 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 not. And I think they'd rather take the brickbats from the Rangers fans and they're getting those brickbats at present than jeopardise the future of the club. Karen, I know you have to go, so I shall let you go and watch your beloved Brighton, but thanks very much for joining us on the show and maybe we can catch up again um, over the summer and discuss this even further. Well, thank you very much for the invite, guys. Uh, have a good summer yourselves and, and stay healthy and uh, look after your loved ones. Bye-bye. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. It's all about the game And how you play it All about control And if you can take it All about your death And if you can play it It's all about pain who's gonna make it I am the game You don't wanna play me I am control No way you can shake me I am heavy death No way you can pay me I am the pain And I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder Ready to run Like a cleaning bitch From a smoking gun I am the game And I
Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.